Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. I'm very excited about today's show. We're doing another simulcast where we're doing both audio and video that will be uploaded to my YouTube channel. And today's special guest is a lovely lady that I've known for a while named Brittany Kara, and we share a lot of values and passions, particularly high-level wellness and freedom, freedom. And in particular, Brittany has a special passion for being an advocate for families and individuals with their personal freedom and sovereignty, especially in the area of what gets put into their bodies. And within that, especially the whole issue of vaccine freedom of choice and making sure that people have adequate information about what vaccines really are, what's in vaccines, what the dangers are, what the alternatives are, what people's rights are. And uh, I wanted to give Brittany a major platform here to share herself with you and to get to know her better and to share her work with you. And then also I'll make sure at the end of the interview that you have whatever contact information you need to facilitate access to Brittany and her work. So welcome Brittany to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Thank you so much, Dr. David, for having me on. It's an honor and privilege to be here with you guys today. Good. So as you probably know, one of the things that makes freeing the body, freeing the soul a little different than what tends to be going on in our soundbite world today is that we're really honoring and resurrecting the art of the in-depth interview where people really have a chance to get to know you and where we have a chance to give you an opportunity to speak without being on the clock and to let the conversation take on kind of an organic flow. So after doing over 60 of these, I found out that one of the best ways to start the interview is just to turn it over to you and invite you to share with our viewers and listeners your personal journey. And, you know, we all have had major challenges and something in our life has inspired us to care deeply about something enough to take the risk to take a stand and to speak our truth and to um, to reach out and step outside of the box so i'm going to be quiet in a minute and just turn it over to you and i'd like you to tell your story in a purposeful way that will create an empowering frame so that later on when we talk about your current work and what's important to you these days, people really have a sense of who you are and where you're coming from. So why don't you take it away for a while? Awesome. Thank you so much, David. I would, I'd be honored to share my story. So um, I'm going to be 35 years old this year. So the wellness journey has been really my whole life. I was raised really in a holistic environment 
we were vegetarians. I was homeschooled. I kind of had a, um, a really cushy childhood for a lot of years. And so my mom really instilled great health um, empowerment into us at a very young age, but my father was really unhealthy. And I grew up in a household where I had an obese dad that would do all of these crazy diets and he would, you know, his body would go up to, you know, 300 pounds and then he'd lose a hundred pounds. And then six months later he'd gain it back. And so it was really this interesting dynamic in my household as a child where I had a really healthy parent that was a really great example. And then I had someone that kind of struggled and had a lot of demons and challenges. And so when I was um, 14, I actually, um, and I'm very vocal about this. I've spoken about this in my book and at all the seminars I speak at because I want, I, like you said, everybody has challenges. Everybody has a story, a journey they've been through. And so for me, I fell suit to personal challenges in my early teens and I turned to drugs and alcohol. And by 14, I was full-blown drug addict, just completely spiraling out of control, putting terrible things in my body. Just a really difficult time, which I think it's a difficult time for just humans in general. It's a, a time of growth and you're trying to figure out who you are. And at 16, um, I decided to get clean and sober. I almost died. I almost overdosed. And um, that was really, for me, just a, a pivotal moment in my life. I remember literally laying in a ball, just my body was shutting down and I just prayed to God. I'm a spiritual person. And I just asked God that if he allowed me to not destroy my body and my mind, that I would spend the rest of my life, not only healing my body, but then giving that gift back to the world. And so the next morning I woke up, I got myself clean and sober. I changed my whole life. I started to study detoxification and nutrition and how to really reverse the effects of some of the things, some of the poisons that I had put into my body at that time. And so I got really passionate about holistic nutrition, detoxification, cellular wellness. So this has been something now I've been studying for almost 20 years and it's been a long journey. And then fast forward into my um, early 20s, I got pregnant with my oldest daughter at 25. And so my husband and I started on the path of becoming parents. And that was really an, another awakening for any parents that are on the line, you know, that that's a time in your life where everything shifts. It's not just about you anymore. And so I was really passionate about what was happening in the food industry. That's kind of where I really started my advocacy work and my in-depth research because I was pregnant. And so I was watching everything that went into my body. But this was really before, this was back in 2008, and um, this was really before the whole social media craze, so there weren't a lot of communities. I was doing research on my own, but I was really involved in the GMO uh, movement to, to label GMOs, to talk about GMOs, and I remember I would bring it up and people would have no idea what a genetically modified organism was. I mean, they just thought I was an alien. So it kind of started that way of just speaking out about food and reading ingredients and being really... Um, conscious of what I put into my body because it wasn't just about me anymore. It was also about my developing child. And um, at that same time, I started to research vaccinations. And just as a new parent, just like anybody does, I think we all kind of were programmed as kids to just believe vaccines are safe and effective and they save lives. And I remember reading something and it just kind of made me question what I was reading. And so I started to do research and it was a long process, a lot of rabbit holes that I fell down to get to the place that I am now, but it was a really um, powerful truth that I uncovered. And I'll talk more about that, you know, as we go on with the, the talk today. Um, but that's really what started. It was just me becoming a parent, me changing my own life. 
I started coaching people um, at about 20, 24, 25. I started coaching, uh, coaching practice, nutritional cleansing, superfoods. I know you and I have uh, been in, in the same uh, wellness company now for, for several years. And so that shifted my life. And I was surrounded by people who cared about the things that I cared about. They cared about internal wellness, spiritual wellness, mindset wellness, all of those things. And so I ended up getting certified in a multitude of different healing modalities. It's just something that I've always been drawn to is the wellness industry. And the vaccine world was kind of something that just came in and um, morphed into this calling that I didn't really know I was ever going to do. But I'll, I can absolutely kind of get more into that as we go. But that's a little bit of my journey, just how I started and what led me to where I am, you know, over a decade later of, you know, helping people all over the world. I work with people all over the world now, and it's such a blessing and a privilege. And I feel so honored um, to be doing this work in the world. So that's a little bit about my journey. Well, thank you, Brittany. Is it okay with you? Because I think it might be helpful for some of our listeners and viewers to be able to relate more to your journey. If I went, took you back and asked you some more in-depth questions about your journey. Sure. So let's go back to, you mentioned, was it at about age 14 that you said you got really involved into drugs? Mm-hmm. Yes. Was yeah. there a particular precipitating traumatic event that, that catalyzed that? Or was it a combination of a lot of things? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm totally an open book with this. So I'm, totally fine speaking out about it. Because like I said, I think everybody has either a trauma or a a situation that's affected them, right? And so um, when I was 12, my parents went through a really challenging time. Um, When I was 14, they split up. So it was just a lot of um, emotional trauma that, that was going on in my family. It was went from being what I would say almost a perfect childhood to like everything just crumbling and just complete chaos around me. And a lot of negative choices um, from the adults in my life that I was watching. And um, it was a really challenging time. And my dad um, turned to drugs and he was a proponent of allowing us to do that at a young age around him. So there was no parental safety net. I didn't have a parental safety net. I did for my mom. I didn't for my dad. And so as a parent now, my husband and I, have a great relationship and we raise our kids very, very differently. Uh, But as a parent now looking back, I go, wow, like no wonder um, I made some of the choices that I made at such a young age because there was so much conflicting, um, just conflicting values. And I'm someone, I don't know if you've studied NLP, David, are you, um, I know you've done so much in the holistic field. Are you familiar with NLP? Quite familiar. Yeah. So I have a master certification in, in neuro-linguistic programming for those that are listening in. And so when I started to look into NLP and research that and get certified in that in my 20s, I was so amazed at how much it uncovered because our we carry our beliefs. The imprint period in the subconscious mind is really between the ages of 8 to 12 years old. And so anything that we saw in those periods of time around health, money, relationships, the world that kind of forms our subconscious barrier of what we then grow up to be and what we allow in our conscious minds once we're adults. And so once you kind of know that, you can go back um, in time and start to revisit some of the things that you might need to shift or some of the belief systems that were maybe given to you 
by somebody else that, you know what, they just maybe didn't know better or they had good intentions, but it wasn't the right belief system for you to carry anymore. And so that was a lot of the journey that I did on my own was just unpacking, like, why did I make those choices? And then looking into the the future of how can I shift that belief system and how can I never make those choices again? And then as a parent today, I have three children. I have a nine-year-old, a five-year-old and a 17-month-old. How can I teach my children now in the process of their subconscious transformation to really um, create strong, amazing beliefs that are going to guide them and uplift them throughout their life? So that's a little bit about what I went through with that. Thank you. And then you also mentioned at 16, you made a decision to basically get your act together. And then you said you became clean and sober. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you do that? Did you have uh, particular mentors or structures or support systems? Or did you just kind of one of those rare people that did it on your own? What was, yeah. what was that like? That's a great question. And I know there's a lot of people struggling with addiction. And I think that um, on all levels of humanity, people are addicted to different things, right? And so as a culture, we have a lot of addictive things coming at us all the time, whether it's technology or shopping or food or alcohol or drugs, it doesn't matter what it is. I think um, most people are addicted to something. Mine happened to be substances. And so um, to answer your question, what did I do? Um, I actually did not go to a rehab facility. Um, I rehabbed myself at home. I just kind of have that stubborn mindset when I put my mind to something and I make a decision, it, I go all the way. So that's also what led me down the path of, of getting to that point too, right? Of just like kind of all or nothing. But I just, I knew that it was like this little seed in my soul that was that knew I was meant for something great. And I don't say that in a um, egotistical way. I say that in a um, spiritual way that I, I really believe that all of us are here for a divine purpose and my divine purpose. I, even though it was stuffed with feelings and emotions and negativity and um, substances, I still could feel that little spark. So if you're listening to this today and you're going through a challenge, I want you to know, like, I understand that, but there, there is a little voice in your mind, in your soul, that's your higher self. And my higher self was like, you can do this. You can heal your body. You can get better. So I would just, I used tons of affirmations. I started um, learning about amazing speakers and healers like Louise Hay. And so, you know, getting some of her material and some of her books that are about healing the mind and the body through affirmations and how powerful that is. And I just started studying herbs and detoxification because here's the reality, you guys, at at 16 years old, after I had had a really healthy childhood, I felt like I was 80. I had pains in my spine. I had brain fog. I had memory loss. um, My skin was a mess. Like I had a lot of internal situations I was struggling with because of the choices that I'd made for just a couple years, but it shows you how susceptible the body is if we don't take care of it, how quickly it can start to get destroyed, right? And so um, herbs, detoxification, acupuncture, I just fell in love and I became addicted to wellness. I became addicted to feeling good and to drinking water instead of substances. And, you know, all of those things, I just shifted my mindset with what I was addicted to, to create better, healthier habits. So that was kind of the process for me, it was, it was a lot of different things and spiritual growth. Um, I don't know if you talk about that a lot on, on this podcast, but um, we do. We do. Yeah, just, do, you have, do you have any particular um, mentors or people that have 
really been important guides for you in that realm of life, uh, I encourage you to share because it might resonate with some of our viewers and listeners too. Absolutely. Well, I was raised, actually, this is really interesting. Um, I was raised in Self-Realization Fellowship, which is a church of all, that recognizes all religions. And it was founded by Paramahansa Yogananda. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Very much so. Uh, okay. So I grew up at that. I was baptized at that church. My parents had a meditation table in our room. I mean, in our living room with a shrine of the gurus. And so we had Jesus and we had Krishna and we had Babaji and we had, so, I mean, people would come over and I got teased terribly as a child. I was homeschooled as a vegetarian and my parents did yoga and meditated with incense. And so it wasn't popular then it wasn't trendy. Like it's so trendy now to wear beads and, you know, gemstones and all this stuff. And we always had those things in my house, but it wasn't cool back then. It was definitely different. And so I was teased a lot. Um, and so, I mean, I think being raised in SRF, I was always very spiritually minded. Um, I was always aware of how, you know, meditation and breath and the subconscious mind and spiritual growth. And we were raised to believe in reincarnation and all of these things. And today I'm actually a practicing Christian. I've, I've just really delved into Jesus's teachings. And for me at this place in my life, um, I am the most connected into that, but I still honor and respect and have love and admiration for any spiritual growth. I mean, I really believe there's only, you know, there's one God, there's different paths to get to wherever you want to have that relationship with him for, for myself today, it's, it's Jesus Christ. And so that's been an interesting, you know, transformation, but just having that, um, that ability to kind of navigate that and figure out what was really right for my soul and what really resonated with me. Um, I think was a really pivotal thing in my life. And it's something that I, I use and I still um, go, you know, I go and visit Lake Shrine and Pacific Palisades. It's still a place that I really love the energy there is beautiful. So um, that was a really positive thing in my life for sure. Beautiful. Um, you know, you mentioned about your passion for wellness and studying all sorts of things. And, you know, I had a similar path and, what strikes me now at age 61, looking back on, I would say, 42 years of consciously in this life being on the path, is that especially when it comes to nutrition, there's so much nonsense out there. I mean, there, some of it is just misguided, but some of it is evil. Some of it is just intentionally to mislead. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I have been blessed with a good intuition and probably good guides. And uh, I haven't made too many major wrong turns and uh, have been guided to some really good stuff. Do you feel like you've had a similar blessing there? Mm, absolutely. So, I mean, I've definitely had challenges like I'm sharing with you guys and um, I've had, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think just my intuition has always been really strong um, I don't know if you're familiar with indigo children. Are you familiar with that concept? Yeah. So several years ago, I had a mentor um, that was my coach for business. And actually, I still coach with him. And um, we were on a call and, and he said, you know, you're an indigo child. And I was like, I don't know what that is. What is that? I'm so intrigued. And so I researched it. And 
Um, for those of you listening that have never heard about indigos, they're a special soul, like an influx of souls that came, started to come into this consciousness um, around the, the early, late 70s, early 80s. And it's continued. And now the new generation coming in, they're called crystal children. But it's, it's people, it's kind of like the light warriors coming in. And I was really kind of uncomfortable with um, a lot of the things that I felt in my heart I was supposed to do for a long time. And I know we'll, we'll get into some of that with some of my advocacy work. Um, but I was just drawn to it. It was like, I couldn't turn it off. My soul kept just would wake me up in the middle of the night. And I'd be like, I have to do this. I have to talk about this. I have to research this. And when I looked into what it is, what it means to be an indigo, it's a, you're here for a very specific purpose. And I've now really made peace and um, have confidence around that, that this is part of my calling and it's part of my work. My divine work here is to do the things that I'm doing now. And so it, as soon as I kind of knew that, that I, I remember there's like a questionnaire you can take online. And if you answer like, you know, 13 out of the 15 questions, you're definitely an indigo. And I answered like 14 out of 15. And I just remember kind of crying and breaking down and being like, wow, I didn't know there was a community of people that also felt this pull that also felt this um, this energy that that's something like we need to do something and we're here to not fight because that's, you know, what you resist persists, but we're here to uplift and to inspire and to, to push the world outside of where we're currently kind of stuck, especially here in the U S. Um, so that was really, really transformative for me and um, very inspirational to just kind of know about that. So that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of my commitments as a, I'm kind of on the late end of the baby boomers. I was born in 1956. And as I get older and I look at more legacy issues and I look at how to leverage my impact, one of the conclusions that I've come to is that one of the best ways for me to leverage my impact is to do something like what we're doing now, is to make connections with uh, people of your generation and then the next wave of, gener of people that are leaders in, and who have an affinity for the same values and commitments that I do, and to cross-pollinate what I call intergenerational wisdom. Mm -hmm. Because I believe that just like every person has a destiny that they can connect with and participate in consciously. I believe that the, every generation has a destiny that if it can connect with, it can participate with more consciously. And I know that whatever I've been able to become and accomplish in this life is that I'm standing on the shoulders of so many great beings Mm -hmm. and 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 one of my greatest joys is to number one pay it forward and number two is that your generation and the younger generation behind you has skill sets and their brains work differently and they're coded differently for a particular mission mm -hmm. and i learn a lot from your generation and I learned a lot from the generation that followed you and you know one of the things that bothers me is that our culture looks at older people as being um, a cost of doing business mm -hmm. 
as opposed to a, a beautiful uh, part of the tapestry of the one. And I feel that elders have a lot to contribute, wise elders, just like I feel every generation has a lot to contribute. And so one of the things that I've consciously done over the last two and a half years as we've been doing Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, is I've been on the lookout for people of your generation and the millennial generation who I really resonate with and to get to know them better and to maximize the flow of contribution. And, you know, I think one of the things that makes being young today in our world challenging is the lack of inspiring older role models. Mm. Because if society is telling you, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this, but you look at the people that are telling you this, and you don't want to be like that when you get older, that creates a lot of cognitive dissonance there. And so, you know, one of the things I really like about the company that you and I are both involved in is that there are many, many role models of people in my generation that are aging very, very gracefully and mm -hmm. are setting a whole new example of possibility for what it means to be 50, 60, 70, 80. And, and you know, the word retire is not even part of my vocabulary at all. It doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense to me. Yeah. It doesn't fit into my world. And so I appreciate you opening up here the conversation to the whole business about indigo children and crystal children. And I really do believe that if we can cross-pollinate the best of each generation, that somehow I sense that the way the game is set up, that the only way the light workers can win the game is for this kind of thing to happen. That, mm -hmm. the, that the era of the lone hero, John Wayne hero, is over. And that, yeah. uh, and that it's really uh, a conscious, living, breathing, group life that cross-pollinates that's going to create the community and the culture that we need, not only to thrive as a species, but also it, it, it reverses back to the individual. Participating in a conscious, caring community empowers the individual to mm -hmm. be their best as well. And uh, it's exciting to, to communicate about it and to be a part of it. Absolutely. I totally resonate with, with everything you just shared with that. And that's part of why I'm so passionate about in educating people and inspiring people to what I call, I say it on social media a lot, but rise up and, and join the revolution. Because unfortunately, we have, um, I truly believe we're in spiritual warfare right now. And um, we have some very negative, dark energies that are, are, really in places of power in our world and in the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry and all throughout our government. And it's not just the United States government, it's the world governments. And what I'm seeing right now is a generation, my generation, um, they are, you know, they are overweight, they are unhealthy, they are broke, they are in toxic relationships, they are not knowing how to properly raise their children in terms of nutrition and wellness and all these things. And so obviously we have a vehicle that we're able to inspire to lift them up out of that. 
But for the younger ones, for the new generation, the babies coming in, for my children's generation, it is the sickest generation of humans ever recorded, ever recorded. And this is the first generation of children that won't outlive their parents. And that's one of the things that inspires me to get up in the morning. It's one of the things that keeps me up at night. Um, because it's so important to our collective consciousness. If we don't change what's happening right now at a level, and I love what you said about elders. Like if you look at cultures all around the world, some of the healthiest cultures, look at what they're doing. They're going to their elders. They are lifting up the elderly in a way that we don't do here in the United States. I mean, people are just shoved in nursing homes. They're forgotten about. Um, There's no quality care. Um, Our vets are treated terribly. We have people that go and fight for our nation. They come back and they're just destroyed by the pharmaceutical industry. And it's, um, it's something that's so deeply disturbing to me that I want to help stop. But if you look at the healthiest cultures in the world, like you said, they are going to the elders, they have tribes of people, it's a community base. And we have to as Americans, all over the world, this needs to happen, but specifically in America, because a lot of us just think we're like in this bubble and the Americans are so great but we're really out of control right now in a lot of ways. And so our collective consciousness has to shift. It has to vibrate higher. It has to go to a different space of being because what we're currently doing to ourselves is not working. It's not working. And we're seeing that in our children. We're seeing that in the amount of people that are on antidepressants and the amount of people that are, um, you know, filing bankruptcy and all of these things, it's all connected. The food, your mindset, the pharmaceuticals you do or don't take, the type of doctor you see. And I know you see this in your practice because you are, um, you know, a trained professional chiropractor. And so you're, you have a whole different level of expertise than I do, but it's just, it's so important that people understand that we are all connected and the choices that we make, whether it's the type of groceries that we allow into our home or the type of um, news we listen to, or what we allow our pediatrician to do to our children, all of that is connected into what I term the toxic agenda. And so it's really about allowing people to know that one, that exists, and two, how do you rise above it? How do you change it? How do you empower the world to create something that's a little bit more stable and beautiful? Absolutely. So um, it was perfect what you were talking about because I was going to go there with my next question. So I want to build on what you were sharing about the you know, basically, we're we're in the midst of a epic spiritual battle, mm-hmm. and I'm one of those rare people that, all the way back in 1989, I started doing an intense education about what was really going on on the planet and the forces at play on many, many multi-dimensional levels Mm -hmm. and it's a very shocking journey to take and you have to be a very strong soul to Mm. take that journey and not become so depressed that you become part of the problem and Mm. so one of the things that's been very important to me with my spiritual students over the years is to be very careful about calibrating how that whole story is shared and when it's shared so that it actually is empowering and doesn't become incapacitating. Mm. And in your position as a leader of potential leaders, I'm interested in if you go there at all with people about that. Mm. And if so, 
how you go there so that you're not blowing people out of the water. <laughs> yeah. um, because the, um, what I call the throneness, in other words, just by being born into this culture uh, and the, 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 the bubble of allowed thinking that is part of the collective of our culture, I use the word thrownness to mean like when we're born, we're thrown mm -hmm. into this um, bubble, this matrix of what we can think and what is acceptable to think. And then we become part of that own, our own jail that we are created that we don't know that we created. And of course, the strongest jail is the one the inmates don't know they're in. Mm. And in my process, you know, you and I both have a, a, a fire burning passion for freedom. And so that if you're really committed to freedom, you eventually come up against what we're talking about. Yes. You eventually come up against the fact that the dysfunctionality in all of our institutions and in our own thinking is not accidental. Right. And it's very difficult for compassionate, caring, light worker people to confront that fact. Mm. It, the idea of, of a very... Um, intelligent in some ways group of dark magicians so to speak sorcerers yes that believe they're god and own this planet and see us as fodder as cattle is such a foreign idea to a caring person yes. and it triggers people's worst fears that they don't want to face and so how do you, as a leader of your generation and the generation that's going to follow you, how do you introduce this level of information to leaders who are going to need to know this so that they don't get snowed under? How do you do it in a way that actually works? That's a great question, and it's a question I'm still trying to figure out on a day-to-day -day basis, I think sometimes I, I'm able to accomplish it with ease and other times it gets to me. And, um, you know, it's been such a journey. I, I would say the last 13 years of my life is where I've really been aware of what you're talking about on the deepest level you can go. I've gone to the very, very bottom of the rabbit holes, not just in our society, but like around the world, because it's very similar in all the world governments. And what's interesting is I studied, I have a degree from UCLA in political science, and um, I was always really drawn to politics. I actually thought maybe I would go to law school. Um, I studied, I got my minor, I, I double majored in poli sci, but then I did a specialty in international law. And so I was always really drawn to just the workings of government. But at that point in my life, in my late teens, early 20s, my college years, um, I still believed in the sense of America that we grew up believing in, the, the sparkly, amazing, free, you know, awesome society that we've all 
kind of been brainwashed to believe it's a, it's a package, right? It's a, it's a brand that we've been sold and most people never question it. They don't ever question, well, what's on the outside of the packaging, who made the packaging, who decided the packaging. And so just like we would question food or pharmaceuticals or whatever it is that we were purchasing or buying into, I started to question and start to really delve into the ideals that we had been sold. And like you said, I'm someone that freedom to me, freedom in our divine spirit, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, those are divine. You cannot alter. You can try to take those things away from a human soul, but they're unbreakable because they are not of us. It's not of this world. It's of a different world. And so um, those things are very important to me to keep um, and hold at the highest integrity. And unfortunately, when I found out just the amount of corruption that was happening, um, it was shocking and it's still shocking. And there's, there's nights that it keeps me up. I've cried about it. I've been angry about it. Um, I've had to learn to really just pray about it and channel how, how can I change this? Because you're not going to stop. Um, there's, you know, it, it's the, the top 1% of the world controls the world. And it's actually a very small amount of people um, I don't know how far deep you want me to get into this, but go it's actually, as deep as you okay. want. I, um, I'm Mr. Deep. Okay, so I mean, but it's a lot for people if if they have no idea what we're talking about. Um, there's there are certain families, there are certain groups of people that control and run the world, and um, they're they're not good. <laughs> like they don't have good quality hearts. I don't think from what I've learned about them, um, it's very very dark and evil, and the the longer you go into it, the more disturbing it gets. But, um, you know, you can look at anything that's going on. People don't question. I mean, just take chemtrails. If you talk about chemtrails, you're labeled a conspiracy theorist, but what, what are the X's in the sky? I mean, like, what do people think those are? I always wonder, like, people think those are clouds. Like I didn't grow up seeing clouds like that. We had real clouds in the sky. Now my kids go, Oh, look, mom, they're doing the X's again with the airplanes. You know, there's just things like that, that I've said that to people and they go, Oh, I've never thought about that. Like, well, what is it? You know? And then you go into that whole, you know, thing of the geoengineering and all the stuff that's happening. So there's so many different levels that we are being lied to. And what's interesting is when you start to question it, the minute you question anything, whether it's our food, our pharmaceuticals, the way our governments run, and most Americans, you talk to them and, and they'll be like, yeah, the government's corrupt. But the minute you start to question these things, you're labeled a conspiracy theorist. And that's, it's just a brainwashing technique that they've used for centuries. And here's- No, I completely understand all, all of that. Yeah. My question is, my question has to do, where my question is coming from is one of my passions is servant leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always interested in the question, how do we- grow that's a word yes. like a gardener metaphor how do we grow really excellent leaders and so my question is not so much designed for you to talk about the scope of the problem because i get it and my listeners get it and my viewers get it that's why they watch me that's why they listen but I'm really interested in getting at this question 
because it's really on the cutting edge in my own life right now. Again, as I'm thinking about legacy issues, Mm -hmm. a lot of what I'm up to is, because I don't want a bunch of followers, I want to grow powerful servant leaders. And, And a servant leader who's serious about wanting to make a difference at the level of culture and society, sooner or later is going to need to confront the territory we're talking about. And so my question was very specific. And it's okay okay if you don't know, but I'm interested in talking about, and some of your experiments may have failed, some have succeeded, some may have been a mixed bag, but have you attempted at all in your commitment to empower other leaders? Have you gone there? Have you gone to this conversation? And what have you, if so, what have you found has worked what doesn't work? Where, where are you kind of moving in the direction of? Because when I, re, when I imagine the kind of world that I really want to live in, and then I reverse engineer it, I, and, I, and I imagine, okay, what's the critical path about how we got there? Everything I can imagine goes back to there's some fork in the road where there's a critical mass of really knowledgeable, compassionate servant leaders. And a lot of them are your generation or the generation after yours. Mm -hmm. So my question was really pointed to that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and I, I guess I do know how to answer that question on some level and some level I'm still trying to figure it out because it is a lot, but I think when I connect with people, it's, it's getting them to be aware I think awareness, because the minute you're aware of something, then you can start to shift or change it. And when you're not aware, you're just complacent. And so you're just kind of spinning your reels. You're just going with society. So the minute you can ask a question that jolts them into awareness, it starts to create a dialogue that allows them to be open. So I think it, it depends on the individual situation. I definitely don't have a formula for this yet um, because it is such a massive issue and it's so psychologically different than what we've been programmed to believe in our whole being so far on this earth, right? So um, I think just opening awareness and being respectful of people. I see a lot of times, especially with social media um, and specifically in like the vaccine movement, the pharmaceutical movement for, for medical freedom is people are so quick to to just name call or call people idiots, you know, whatever. And so there's a lot of like negative energy. There's a lot of hate energy when people just don't know when they feel threatened with their belief. So I think if you can come at it from a place of, um, and this is something I've had to work through for years, but try to come from a place of love. And it's what you're talking about with certain servant leadership. We all have a divine responsibility to step into whatever power we need to step into. But when you come from a place of love and education and empowerment, rather than let me tell you all the stuff that you don't know. And here's why you're an idiot that you don't know these things, because that's how some people sure try to like make this sort of change or to get people to wake up. Um, so for me, it's just kind of an individual thing. And I, you know, I use social media for that. I mean, I have just hundreds of people that reach out to me a month on social media saying, you know, I've been following you for a while. Your post made me question some of the stuff that I was doing in my own life. You know, can I, where do I start for more research? So that's really what we want. It's like, 
It's just planting the seed, planting the seed, having the person come to the own realization because you can't change anyone else's belief. You can't, no matter how much you want to, you can't go in and like force them to believe what you believe. I was just wondering if there's any questions you found particularly provocative that have worked really well as not only conversation starters, but kind of empowered people in a certain direction of inquiry. Yeah, I think for sure the, the vaccine movement does that. The vaccine movement opens the door. The food industry, like you're, you're knocking at the door, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're on the doorstep, but you're not really there yet. Like I think people that are aware that our food is toxic and we've been lied to and food companies are, you know, lying to us about labelings and all the, and the government doesn't care. Most of society is aware of that. It's become a standard. People know that. That's why non-GMO food is huge. That's why organic food is huge. We've seen that shift in the last 10 years happen. Prior to, to that, there was, you know, people were like, oh no, the government would tell us if this was going on. You know, now that I don't get those questions anymore. But I think the minute someone opens the door into the pharmaceutical industry and starts to question things there, the whole basis of their belief system of the current world that we live in starts to unravel. That's, and I've seen that over point. and over and over again. That's a good point. And another thought I had in terms of uh, being intelligent strategically is that the vaccine conversation taps into something that's very deep, which is maternal instinct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mother in the family makes most of the buying decisions. And so if you can influence the mother in a family, that's a very high leverage point. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, 100%. Yeah. So this is probably a good time then to segue a conversation from shifting over primarily to talking about our stories and our journeys into what you're really focused on today in the especially in the area of vaccines Mm -hmm. and so let me just turn the time and space over to you and um why don't you take it from here and just assume that the people that are watching and listening at least are curious about what's going on and that they're beginning to at least be willing to question the party line Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think it's the most important question that we can ask right now as a society because the vaccine agenda, it's not just affecting children. Um, it is affecting people of all ages. And um, I'll get into that in a second. But it's one of the most critical questions you can ever ask in your family if you're a parent listening to this or if you're just an individual is, is everything that I've been told about the vaccination industry true? And I think um, it's a good question to start with if you're brand new to this information. Um, And if you are a parent or you're a new parent, I think it's important for you to start to question what you have been sold and told at your pediatrician's office regarding vaccines. Because the bottom line is this, is we are the most uh, vaccinated country in in the world and we also have the sickest children we have seen massive rises in adhd 
childhood cancers, autism, neurological disorders. One in five children has a neurological disorder. Um, one in 45 has autism, except those are old numbers. It's really closer to one in 25 children. Um, we are expected to hit one in two by 2032 if we don't change whatever it is that we're doing here that's making our kids so sick. And what's important for people listening in to understand is not one single health agency in the United States is researching this. So that's just autism. Um, autism is a whole nother situation. And so a lot of people feel comfortable with vac vaccinating their children because they believe the connection between vaccines and autism has been squashed. However, that is completely false. And I can give you data that will blow your mind. But if you haven't seen the documentary called Vaxxed, I really highly encourage you to watch it this week. It is the story of the CDC whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson, that came forward several years ago now. He has over 10,000 documents, recorded phone calls, private emails from the CDC showing that they absolutely committed scientific fraud regarding the autism and MMR connection. And that's just one of the shots there's so many vaccines on the schedule now. So one of the biggest questions I get for people regarding this issue is, well, I was vaccinated and I'm fine. Well, when you were a child, the vaccine schedule was remarkably different than it is now. And David, I'll ask you, what year were you born? Do you remember how many vaccines you received? I got polio. I got tetanus. I got... They didn't have a chickenpox vaccine, but they did have a measles, measles and a mumps. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if I got a DPT or not. And that was it. I mean, when I was a kid, I was born in 56. You know, there was no talk about meningitis vaccines. There was no talk about hepatitis vaccines. And then that's not even talking about the content, but right. just in terms of quantity, it was completely different. And also, I don't think, I mean, I'd have to go back and check, but in terms of the timing, I don't think uh, as a person under the age of one, I don't think I was bombarded with a lot of vaccines. And so the timing is really an issue as well. And then, of course, there's the whole issue of what's in there that you can find out. And then there's the question of what's in there that you can't find out. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that. So the CDC schedule, um, it used to be for vaccines, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. And the polio vaccine actually that you got back in the day, um, that was actually um, contaminated with a mon monkey cancer causing virus called SV40. And for those of you listening, if you haven't gone down this research, you definitely deserve to. It infected over 100 million Americans with cancer. They can actually take swabs from most of the cancers that they're seeing now, brain cancer, stomach cancer, all different sorts of cancer. And they can, a lot of it will test positive for the SV40 virus. Now, the CDC has since come out and publicly stated that they knew about it prior and they didn't pull the plug. They let 100 million people be injected with a cancer-causing vaccine. So you can go back in the CDC fraud for as long as you want to go back. I mean, it's, it's definitely deep rooted, but going forward to today, 
um, our children receive, you know, between 36 and 38 shots um, in their first year of life. That depends if you get the flu shot or not. Um, the first the, year? The first year. Mm -hmm. First year. The first year. 49 by the age of five and 70 by the age of 18. Now, the current CDC schedule has never been tested collectively for safety. Anywhere in the world, the study doesn't exist. You can ask any med medical professional. You can call the CDC. You can ask them to show you the study. It doesn't exist if they say you there is a study, they're lying to you because it doesn't exist. It's never been done. It's being tested currently on the population. It's being tested on your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews. It's never been proven to be safe. So that's the first issue. <laughs> Can I interrupt you for a minute? Yes. So that would never be allowed if it was categorized as a drug. No. Great point, David. So vaccines are tested differently than regular pharmaceuticals. Regular pharmaceuticals have to go through long-term double-blind placebo safety studies before they're put on the market. And we know that there's a ton of problems with pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals kill and are so addictive to so many things, but at least they go through this long-term process. Vaccines are categorized differently. They're biologics. They are a different class in terms of how they are formulated and how they are tested. So they actually do not have to go through any long-term placebo-based studies. Actually, none of the vaccines on the market have ever been tested properly with a true placebo. And what I mean by that is a, a true placebo is what? It's it's not the actual thing that you're testing against, right? It's, it's a saline solution, salt water, water, whatever. Vaccines are tested against the adjuvants that are in the vaccine. So for example, the Gardasil, the HPV vaccine was tested against aluminum. So the um, adverse reactions didn't show, to, I mean, there were still adverse reactions, of course, but they weren't as massive as had they used a true placebo, a saline solution or whatever. Um, in a true test study, somebody gets the medication, somebody doesn't. But in vaccine safety trials, either they're testing them two vaccines against each other, or they're testing it against an adjuvant that's in the vaccine. So it's, it's completely just it's not even basic science from like ninth grade, you know what I mean? They're not even doing that. Um, yet they're telling us vaccines are safe and effective. Take your beautiful, healthy child you just brought into the world at six, seven, eight, nine pounds, and let's give them nine shots in a day. It's perfectly safe. Don't ask questions. If you ask questions, you're an anti-vaxxer and you should have your children taken away. I mean, this is the culture that parents are currently in. And I actually have some disease rates here because I'm actually teaching a class about this right now. So I just wanna share this with you guys because one of the lies we've been told is vaccines save lives. Vaccines are safe and effective, right? It starts in about third grade social programming and science books. You'll actually read those exact words. People grow up, they never question it. Well, go looking at the current CDC schedule, um, which we know has, it tripled back in 1995. Um, and so just to give you guys a little bit of background knowledge about that, in 1986, um, the pharmaceutical industry was getting sued on a massive level because the DTP vaccine was killing people. It was causing massive seizure disorders. And phar the pharmaceutical industry had millions and millions of dollars in lawsuits because at that point, you could still sue a pharmaceutical company for a vaccine, which you know this, David. Today, if you take a heart medication and it does something terrible to you or you die, your family still has civil liability. They could sue that product, correct? Correct. Correct. You can't sue a vaccine maker. And when that shifted was in 1986, Congress passed something called the Childhood Injury Vaccine Protection Act. Well, it didn't protect kids. It protected pharma. And what it did was it gave pharma complete immunity 
to being sued. They cannot, you cannot sue a pharmaceutical company for a vaccine injury. It's, it's, you can't do it. There's no law that protects the consumer. What they did was they set up a superficial court system called the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. And we have a government run database called Veris. It stands for Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And um, that, that entity, it's not a real court system. There's no judge. There's no jury. It's a special master's. People have to fight for years. I have tons of friends that have gone through it. It's a nightmare. And most of the cases are thrown out. But here's the reality. $3.8 billion with a B has been given out to vaccine victims since its creation um, the, the vaccine injury compensation programs creation in the, the late 80s. So when people say, oh, well, vaccine injury is rare, rare, well, no, it's not because we have billions of dollars that have been paid out. But here's the, the really, really terrible thing is the pharmaceutical company didn't, they didn't pay that. Do you know who actually pays the, that amount of money out? I would assume it's the taxpayer. Yep, it's us. So every time you buy a vaccine, there's a 75 cent tax attached to the vaccine that goes into the fund for the vaccine injury compensation program. So Americans have been blindly paying for vaccine injury for years, not knowing, not understanding, not having any idea that this is happening, this level of corruption is happening. So really quick, I just wanted to share with you guys the, the death rates from the vaccines um, that are currently on the CDC schedule because people don't understand that, that not only vaccine injury is massive, and we can talk about that, but vaccine death is massive. Vaccines kill a lot of people, a lot can of people. You, can you even intelligently talk about the death rates of these in isolation? Because so many of these vaccines are given all at once. Mm -hmm. Great point. So the VARES database, um, this is actually statistics that I'm going to share with you straight from the VARES database. So this is public knowledge you can um, definitely everything that I'm saying, question it, go research it, do your own research. I say that all the time. Anytime I um, do a speech about vaccines or I talk on social media, you don't have to believe me. You should take the time to research this because you deserve to know this knowledge as well. And this is all public knowledge that you can pull. Um, so it's really hard to know because things are given in combination, but VAERS sometimes will, will show that. But I just was listening to a conference the other day with Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, who's a brilliant physician who speaks out all over the world about vaccine injury. And she's a, a huge advocate in our movement. And she said that less than 1% of vaccine injuries are actually reported to VAERS. So it's a very, very low percentage that's reported, but listen to these numbers and it's going to blow your mind. So the polio vaccine, there was 1,394 deaths. So 1,394 deaths between 1990 and 2017, just from the polio vaccine, plus an additional 518 deaths when the polio vaccine was combined with another vaccine. Okay, so that's over 2,000 people. That is highly significant, highly significant. It's numbers that you'll never, ever hear on the news, but you should know that. The hepatitis B vaccine, there was over 784 deaths reported between 1991 and 2017 from receiving that vaccine. Now that's the vaccine that we give at the first year of life within the or the first day of life, excuse me, it's given to babies within their first 12 hours of coming into the world. Hepatitis B is a sexually transmitted disease. You get it from multiple sex partners or intravenous drugs. That vaccine was created for prostitutes and drug addicts, but the pharmaceutical industry couldn't have an orphan drug. They weren't selling enough. So what did they do? They mandated it for babies. So that's just a little, you know, side thing on that, but 784 deaths that have been reported 
we also have the highest rates of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, in the industrialized world. And we're one of the only nations that gives hep B at birth. So that's insane to me. And SIDS is listed on vaccine inserts. You can pull vaccine inserts. You can see that SIDS is still listed. It's still listed on the DTAP. And the other vaccine inserts, they've actually changed the wording. They just call it apnea now. But apnea is, as a medical professional, David, what is apnea? You stop breathing. You stop breathing. What is SIDS? A baby stops breathing and they don't know why. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the main MOs of the dark forces is to twist the meaning of words and to obfuscate the original meaning of words. I mean, I, I hear now they're coming up with another word for high fructose corn syrup. They are. It's called isolated fructose is what they're calling it. And they did the same thing with autism. So they, autism used to be listed um, on the vaccine inserts. It still is on some, you can find old inserts on Google. You can pull them and read it yourself. And and autism is still listed multiple times on the VAERS database. And lots of families have been paid out through the VCIP for autism related vaccine injury. So when people say vaccines and autism are connected, like they just haven't done the research. But now on the inserts, it doesn't say autism anymore because they know that's a trigger word for the population. It says encephalitis. Well, what is encephalitis? Encephalitis is swelling of the brain. It's brain damage, which is the later diagnosis of the behavioral problem of autism. It's the same thing. You know, an idea that I have for you, if you haven't done it, is put together a video or an ebook which lists these correlates mm-hmm. so that so that the consumer can know yes. um, and also when they're sharing with others. One thing I want to make sure that we've got about uh, 20 minutes left. One thing I want to make sure you cover before we sign off on this, or we could do a second interview if you wanted, is what do you recommend, especially for people in California mm-hmm. uh, who want to um, just say no to this system without having their kids taken away. Um, you know, up until about um, a year or two ago, you could get out of this game based on your spiritual beliefs. Right. But now they've taken that away. And so now it has to be based on a medical reason. And so now you have to find, I believe, either a medical doctor or an osteopath I don't know if they still allow nurse practitioners or if they've taken them out of the game, who is willing to put their butt on the line and sign that they believe that it's medically unwarranted. Um, do you have a list of uh, doctors in California that are willing to provide that service? Or what do you, how do you help the people in California? Yeah, absolutely. Those are all great questions. And so um, for those of you that don't know, in January of 2016, SB 277 passed, and that was um, revoking the parental rights in our state for our children to go to school if they were either partially vaccinated or unvaccinated. A lot of families want to partially vaccinate. They don't want to follow the full CBC schedule or they do a delayed schedule. That's very popular, all those things. Um, that was taken away by Senator Richard Pan and Ben Allen. They drafted a a law that stripped the parental rights. So now parents are only left with medical exemptions. They're very difficult to get. Physicians are completely bullied into not giving them. Um, They use Dr. Sears. Uh, He's an amazing advocate in our community. He was writing medical exemptions and the pharmaceutical industry used him as an example. 
and basically threatened to take his license away, um, much like they did with Andy Wakefield um, with the MMR, you know, and, and his Lancet study back in um, the UK and in, in you know, 1995. So um, I do help a lot of families. I do have a list of doctors that I work with that are open to doing it. Um, if your child has severe allergies and you have a history of autoimmune disease, of cancers in the family, if your child's already had reactions and you don't want to continue to vaccinate the child or you don't want to continue to vaccinate a sibling based on the, the reaction, um, it's very important that people be aware that medical um, exemptions are still available, but they are hard to get. So if you're listening to this and you are a parent and you're looking for that and you're in California, you can reach out to me. I am bombarded with messages. So it is hard for me to get back to everybody personally, but I always try to, um, I know we're going to give out my information at the end of this talk today. And you can always look me up on Facebook, um, Brittany Cara. And um, I mean, I, I, there's, hundreds of messages that I get. Um, I always try to get to the people in California first because I live in California. I have three children that were affected by this law. So my heart goes out to those people. Um, our family was very blessed. We were able to get medical exemptions for our children, but it's only a matter of time before big pharma comes after that, or they come after homeschooling. Like not everybody can homeschool. And that was a option that was originally drafted on the initial bill was homeschooling was included. And so they, we were able to get amendments and pull that off of the bill. And so they allowed people to still, you know, not vaccinate their children at homeschool. But for a lot of families, it's not, it's not feasible. It's not, you know, two families that are working, two parents that are working. A lot of people just don't want to homeschool. They don't feel like they have the proper resources. So it's not an option for everyone. And it's ridiculous. So that's what happened in California. It all stemmed from the measles outbreak at Disneyland, which, I don't know if you know this, David, but my family was actually at Disneyland the day that it actually potentially spread the measles, which is so funny because my children are unvaccinated and none of us contracted the measles. If we had contracted the measles, I wouldn't have freaked out because measles in a healthy functioning immune system is a four day rash. It's not deadly for most healthy people. And the, the MMR vaccine sheds, can shed for months. When people get the MMR vaccine, it's a live virus vaccine, and it can shed off in saliva and sweat off onto the population. So the MMR actually spreads measles far more than unvaccinated children, which is just, it's another lie, basically. Oh, yeah, it's a racket. I don't know if you're old enough to remember what happened about 20 years ago when they were pushing the Prozac drugs, and they wanted to get, they wanted to make it, impossible for people to get to buy tryptophan mm. and so what happened was there was a tainted batch of tryptophan and people uh people developed something called eosinophilic myalgia and they used mm. that as justification for about 20 years you couldn't go to the health food store or online and you couldn't buy tryptophan which uh, with the right cofactors converts to serotonin. Right. And so about five years ago, that changed. But it's that same old problem, reaction, solution, gambit that, uh, that they do all the time. They do it all the time. And you can look into the cancer industry. The cancer industry was something that I was really, really passionate about for a long time. I mean, I still am. But I think now that I know the connection between vaccines and cancer, I've shifted my focus a little bit um, because the cancer industry is just an arm of the pharmaceutical industry. But people listening to this, you should be aware that the vaccine industry is the largest, most profitable arm of the pharmaceutical industry. So if you've ever questioned big pharma or their intentions, yet you still believe vaccines are safe and effective, 
I would encourage you to, to question your thinking with that because um, we already talked about the testing. Um, because they can produce vaccines so cheaply, all of our vaccines are made in China. There's no quality control. Um, a, a recent example is Sanofi, uh, Sanofi Alavi. It's a vaccine um, company, pharmaceutical company. I don't think I'm saying it properly, but um, they their batch of vaccines was found to be contaminated with shards of glass. Now, these vaccines were administered into humans all over, and they were never pulled off the market. And the official statement that they came out with was glass is a natural substance, so there was no need for them to pull the vaccine. So just think about that for a second. Like, would you take your child into a physician's office knowing that something was contaminated with shards of glass and purposely inject it into your children? Now, that's just that's an added like entity in the vaccine that didn't mean to be there. There's a slew of other very, very toxic ingredients, chemicals, additives, aborted human tissues, animal DNA, all sorts of just really vile ingredients that are in that syringe. And then you add shards of glass to it and, and that is safe for a baby. Like, you know, what planet is, is that okay on? So it's just, um, it, but people didn't know because it's not on mainstream media. And if it is, it's only about going to get your next booster shot because the anti-vaxxers are spreading disease. I mean, that's what we see on CNN and Fox News because the pharmaceutical industry owns our news. And all you have to do to, to believe that that's true is turn on the television and you're going to see ad after ad after ad for pharmaceuticals. They pay all the advertising. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting culture right now, for sure. So let's... I think we've established that it, there's a high likelihood that either you and I are completely insane <laughs> or that there is a real problem. And if people want to feel it in their gut or in their heart, I would recommend they watch the movie Vaxxed mm -hmm. and you can actually see real families and the impact this is having. So let's take the time we have left into what, let's say a person goes, okay, I'll buy what you're saying. Uh, what can we do? That's a great question. So, um, I mean, people need to speak out. Um, every parent in the United States of America and across the world needs to speak out. Right now, we've seen yesterday, the, earlier this week, 70,000 people in Italy marched. And I posted it on my Facebook pages because Italy just mandated a law to increase the vaccines from 7 to 12. And so that's far less than what children receive here in the United States, yet 70,000 people rose up and said, no, not, not with our children. You may not do this. And we don't know if the law is going to pass yet, um, but they got it down to 10. It, it just doesn't matter. I mean, you don't see that sort of, you saw a million women march when Trump was elected. And it almost made me like laugh out loud because people were marching for women's rights and, you know, our rights and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, what rights were taken away? First of all, second of all, um, as women, shouldn't you be concerned about what's happening to children? And there was all, you know, so it was, a, and all those marches were, you know, we could go on a rabbit hole about that, but they were funded by people. They were staged by the agenda. You know, there's a whole thing with that, but if you were a part of those, I just really want you to start to question like, well, when would you stand up for children? Because this is happening and it's not just happening in the US, it's all over. Sweden just um, completely banished mandatory vaccination laws. Um, they said it was against their Swedish constitution because their Swedish, con Swedish constitution upholds the, 
the integrity of, of your right to divinity in your body, that a medical procedure under the Nuremberg Code that was established after World War II, it was established because Hitler did horrible things to, to people and, and there was no medical autonomy, right? And so that was created. That's gone in this country, you guys. If you believe in forced vaccination, you don't have medical autonomy. You don't have medical freedom. And that's a divine human right. So Sweden abolished their laws. Um, we're seeing people rise up in Denmark. We're seeing people rise up in Finland. We're seeing Italy just stand up. And that's what needs to happen here. So to answer your question, David, what can people do? People need to be brave. They need to get informed. They need to speak out. They need to understand that this is not just a fringe issue. And it does affect you whether you currently have children or not. Because here's the reality. Even if you don't have little kids, when one in two children is sick with a massive neurological disorder, we have nothing left. We have no future. And we talked about coming together, you know, collective consciousness and forming these communities, like David was saying earlier about um, the longevity of our culture and, and growing as, as a human race. We, we don't, we're not going to have that because we're poisoning and we're brain damaging our children from birth. And so, so are, we, there, are there coordinated ways that people can leverage their voice, leverage their energy instead of just millions of individuals acting as individuals? Yeah. Are, are there groups or organizations that you feel comfortable endorsing and recommending? Yes, yes 100%. So um, there is an organization called the NVIC.org. That's the National Vaccine Information Center. It was started by a woman named Barbara Lowe Fisher back in the early 90s. Um, her child was destroyed by the DTP vaccine. And so she became an advocate. They're a nonprofit. They do a tremendous amount of work. Um, so you can, you know, donate to them, you can help them, you can speak out with them. There's um, lots of organizations that are, are starting to, to emerge in our community. There's medical freedom organizations. Um, I can get you some of those links. Um, my friend Larry Cook runs a website called stopmandatoryvaccination.com. We have a huge community on Facebook. There's over 80,000 people in it from all around the world. And so, you know, joining groups like that, getting connected into when we do rallies, we do tons of health freedom rallies all over. We just did the Children's March for Humanity a couple weekends ago. We had 27 marches in 27 cities all over the nation. I spoke at the one in Santa Monica None of it was on the news. I mean, just that should make you start to question, right? There's a new organization I actually have up here on my whiteboard called autismtrust.com, which is founded by a a beautiful lady, Polly Tommy. She's actually in the film Vax. Her son was um, destroyed by his 18-month shots, and he's fully autistic, and now he's a grown adult. And she is dealing with the, the fallout of what do you do when you have a child that you know, it's one thing, it's, it's hard enough dealing with a child with neurological disorders when they're small, but once they grow into, we're going to have a whole culture of, of brain damaged adults just floating around. Where are these people going to go? They, they don't have the social skills. They have violent outbursts. They don't know how to control their emotions. I mean, it's a giant mess. So Polly Tommy created autismtrust.com and this is a, she wants to, she's already doing it in the UK, but she's spreading it here too. Um, community centers where families with autism can come and they can basically have a tribe that helps raise their child. So if something happened to them and, and they passed away, their child is still protected. It's not, you know, going to end up being a street person roaming around. Cause that's what we're going to see David in the next 20 to 30 years, we're going to have massive amounts. Sorry, my dog is barking massive amounts of, um, 
homeless people because where are these children going to go when their parents pass away? So it is a social responsibility that, that needs to be heavy on all of our hearts. So there's a lot of ways to get involved. You can always um, find me on Facebook and reach out. There's new organizations coming up all the time. Um, there's a gentleman named Del Big Tree. He um, does a show called High Wire now. He's great. He's a huge activist in our uh, community and movement. He's starting a nonprofit. So a lot of people are, we're trying to figure out what to do, right? We're trying to figure out how we can create these communities to help stop it. But um, it's a massive, massive problem for sure. So one thing I would request is if you could email me these links and we'll put them in the show notes and in the YouTube notes. Would you be willing to do yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely do that because I would yeah. really like people to be aware. Yeah. And then the other thing is that please feel free to use this particular audio or video as a resource for you in your work and encourage other people to do the same. Um, you know, I there's just very few things that move me more than... Um, doing everything I can to create a world where children are honored on all their multidimensional levels. Mm -hmm. And I don't see any way to do that without going through this particular challenge right now. And I really think leveraging the maternal instinct here is the way to go. Um, there's an organization you might want to see if you can partner with called Holistic Moms Network mm -hmm. that is, has a pretty robust membership, I think, all around the country. And I don't know if they do internationally. But also dovetailing with the work that the investigative work that Robert Kennedy Jr. is doing. Yes. I think he can provide a lot of credibility for people that think that we're, you and I are kind of kooky and fringy, mm -hmm. but they might listen to him. Yeah. That's absolutely. a resource. Uh, absolutely. He just recently did, I know we're wrapping up, but he recently um, did a press conference in Washington at the Washington Press Club. And um, again, mainstream media, barely, it was like crickets about it. Um, but President Trump actually um, allowed it to happen. He's actually... Um, brought Bobby in to form a vaccine commission to uh, basically go after the CDC. That's why you're seeing a lot of people, um, you know, decline um, or resign from the CDC. We just had the CDC director resign basically right when Trump got into office. Um, so there's a lot happening because people are really scared of the CDC because they've, they've committed massive fraud and they've, they've poisoned so many children and they know it. And um, one of the things that Robert, um, Kennedy did. He partnered with Robert De Niro and several other high profile politicians the the district attorney from San Antonio was there, um, very high profile people speaking out and Robert De Niro and Robert Kennedy offered scientists all across the nation and world $100,000 if they could produce a study showing that the current trace amounts of mercury that's still in the multi-dose flu shots that are given and pushed on pregnant women in this um, nation every day prove that it's safe. And so far it's been crickets. Now that was 
um, I don't know how many months ago, probably four or five months ago now, but people forget about that. They offered a hundred thousand dollar reward and nobody was able because it's not safe and there's no safety testing um, showing that mercury isn't toxic. And for those people that are listening that think mercury is out of the vaccines, you're wrong. There's still trace amounts. The CDC website will even tell you there's still trace amounts. Um, and that's on top of all the other things. So yes, Robert Kennedy, he has a great website called EcoWatch. I will send you a bunch of links, like my top, top, top um, legitimate links. Like they're not going to be crazy, like anti-vaxxer sites. Most of the research that I pull is from FDA websites, CDC websites, medical journals, all of those things. And so when you have those databases then you can go back and I do have lots of resources for parents on my website, which you can um, find it at brittanycara.com and David will post the links below the video and the feed as well. So why don't you spell Brittany Cara? Yeah, absolutely. So it's B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y and then K-A-R-A com so brittanycara.com and you can click on body and you'll see vaccine education and there's there's a couple months of research there for you to start to delve into so is there anything you'd like to make sure you say in closing that you haven't had a chance to say yet or maybe i haven't asked you something that you want to make sure gets on this recording well, thank you. Um, I'm just honored to be here and have this dialogue. I think talking about these issues, even though they might be uncomfortable for some people, um, it's highly important to the, the development of our society and for our society to really survive. Um, and I think that's where we're at right now. We are in a massive critical time where we have to wake up so that we can not just survive, but thrive, and that we can pull ourselves out of this mess. So I think it's important for all of us to just be open to have these conversations in a non-aggressive, non-confrontational way, and just, you know, ask questions and be open to learning. So with that, I mean, you guys can connect with me on social media. Um, you can send me messages if you have questions. Um, I do have a lot of this information in my book, which is called The Silent Scandal, and it's available for purchase on my website. If you buy it from my website, you'll get a signed copy for me. So. Um, and I have a podcast. I have a podcast called Truth Be Told. It comes out every Tuesday. You can find it on Podomatic. Just search Brittany Cara, Truth Be Told, or it's on my website, and you guys can connect with me there as well. So thank you, David, for having me on. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And our very special guest today has been the lovely Brittany. Is it Kara or Cara? It's Cara. Thank you for Cara. asking. So Cara with a K. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. For joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to cuttingedgedoc.com. That's cuttingedgedoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.